Contained within this week's conversation is an amazing example of something I've thought to be true for some time. That we all have a gift or an impact within us that we have to share to the world. And that you can either choose to follow that or you can choose to follow other things. But ultimately, your greater total self will bring you back towards this gift and this impact. This week, I was privileged to speak with Becky Felstead, former photojournalist for a number of newspapers in WA, including the West. Becky talks about her pride at landing her first photojournalist job and her desire to become a spot photojournalist, but how the reality and the demands of this role just completely conflicted with her essence and her real impact that she was to have in the world. She talks about how one incident in particular covering a shark attack, which I'll leave you to listen to, really brought this home. From that, she started to have a physical reaction to actually even picking up the camera. Another example of your greater total self coming into play. And from that, she went into a period which you could only describe as the dark night of the soul, including drinking and debt and what have you. But throughout all of that, somehow she managed to make a choice towards becoming a physical trainer and coach and how that journey has led her to become the head coach at Subiaco F45 Gym. As you speak to Becky, you can really hear how passionate she is to connect and bring the best version out of others, and how she's really managed to find her impact and gift in the world. This is a very engaging and energetic and insightful story. It takes some bravery to share when you think about what she's covered, but it also is an absolute goldmine of life lessons about the journey towards the best version of yourself through focusing on the impact that you can share with others around you. So enjoy, Becky. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Making brave choices to change careers and follow your passion to serve other people are some of the topics we're going to get in today with my guest, Becky Felstead. Becky, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you going? Very well, very well. So, welcome to WA Real. Thank you. Um, so, one of the questions I always ask my guests at the start is their relationship with Western Australia. So, I understand that you were originally born in Northern England. Yeah. Whereabouts? Burnley. Burnley. So <laughs> no, Burnley. I know, Burnley. You've uh, lost that accent. <laughs> yeah, you? completely. No, I can s- put it on when I need it's to. It's not though. such a bad thing. <laughs> no. So, tell me, how did you end up in Western Australia? And when did you come? Um, so, luckily, um, I think mum and dad were a little bit unsettled in the UK um, and uh, decided when I was five, my sister was six, my brother would have been 17, um, decided to come over to, like, started the whole process of immigration, came over. 1991, we moved to Rockingham, as all English people do. It's either there or Hillary's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and then, yes, I ended up moving here and dad was a fitter at the time, um, like an engineer. And then he ended up, um, mum and dad ended up breaking up. He ended up changing careers as well. So I suppose that's where I get my inspiration from for that. Um, but moved all around WA. So, um, dad's up in the Kimberley of WA. So I have a little bit of my heart up there. Mm-hmm. He's now in Perth, but going back. Um, and then mum, um, when mum and dad broke up in Perth, mum moved to Nanup, of all places, to go and build a teepee, as you do. <laughs> have you been to Nanup? No. Okay, it's beautiful. I have but it's definitely, in a teepee, but yeah, not Yeah, but it's definitely where you go to build a teepee. And I'm thankful she did at the time. I thought everybody moved to Nanup and built teepees. 
Um, and luckily I had my sister and um, with me who were only we were only 15 months apart so we always had each other so the whole moving thing didn't kind of phase us hmm. um, so yeah then up and then to Bustleton where there was like a few things that happened and then eventually to Dunsborough which is down in obviously southwest WA which is where mum is now and where I did most of my schooling and most of my mischief <laughs> <laughs> actually it didn't end there like, let's be no, fair no no I got that impression <laughs> Do you remember much about uh, coming to Australia and the big, the big change? Um, just all, I think, um, again, like when you're that age, you don't think anything different. You don't, mm. you th- you don't think to take anything in at the time. Um, one thing I remember is <clears throat> obviously to make the move a little bit better, uh, my sister got something and I got something. I got this little Winnie the Pooh teddy bear. So I've always had this like little call. I don't remember watching Winnie the Pooh lots, but mm. I remember having still this got little. The bear. I don't have the bear because mum, bless her heart, gets rid of shit. She's like, I don't want to keep that. I'm getting rid of that. So right. we don't really have much from when we were younger. Right. We have, we don't, unless we cl- clung onto it, there's not much from any kind of right. past. Yeah. So, so yeah. And um, if you don't mind me asking, how long into the transition was it your parents So separated? It, they did a really good job. For me, my sister and I have discussed it and my brother that I can't remember exactly um, like the point of when they were broken up because dad, such a warm man, it wasn't, there wasn't any particular day, but it was when we were in, in my understanding, um, Dad and my brother stayed in uh, Fremantle. We moved down to, to Nanup and that was like the transition. Dad decided to go back to uni. Mum decided to go um, to be a teacher. Um, we moved down to Nanup. So it was like when I was about, I just can't remember, eight, hmm. something like that. And then, yeah, I remember Dad coming back um, down to Nanup and stuff like that, but they were definitely broken up. I think Mum made the decision before Dad did. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, she kind of told told him that that was the case, and then mm. so probably about eleven, like it started, and then the actual. Do you think up. Um, you know two significant life changes in in your early years helped you to deal with change later in life? One hundred percent, because it becomes natural. It becomes like, and and it's not something I crave, but I notice that I go through cycles where, um, and we were having this discussion before where if I feel that I'm not comfortable somewhere if something's not working I'm quite happy to change it like if there's a job that I'm not enjoying or if there's something that I'm not enjoying if there's somebody in my life that I'm not resonating with then Mm. I'll change it yeah so I think they gave me the gift of like unfortunately they had to break up but they gave me the gift of being okay with change Mm. and not stressing out over change so yeah for sure Mm. That uh, that plays a significant part in the story. We're yeah, get into. yeah, exactly. Indeed. So um, you spent was it twelve years being a photographer? Yeah, that's right. About about. <laughs> and uh, from my understanding, it was it, it started out at weddings, did it, and then it's, went into it, much bigger profile stuff. So it started out. I again something it was my parents as well and watching dad change his his profession but mum and dad kind of said to us if you do something you love you'll never work a day in your life you know that saying mm. so I was like what is my it that I love said yeah something about I've never had a job I've always had a hobby that paid money yeah there you go but then when you're I think <clears throat> in the school system at the moment and obviously when we were going to school because we we're the same age <laughs> 
Um, That's very flattering. Where, Thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like that. I'll just flatter you all day. But um, you kind of have to make a decision of where you want to be in year 10 and 11. Mm. And I had no clue. But I knew I, the schooling system didn't really work for me. I found it really difficult to kind of sit still. Mm. You know, I'll read a book and I'll be like, squirrel. You know, that kind of thing. So trying to sit down and learn was hard. But I really enjoyed photography. And I ended up going into... Uh, I kind of took like a gap year after, went went a bit crazy, went on um, over to Europe and came back and studied and did um, school portrait photography, right. which bless their heart, the people who hired me, they were amazing, but school portrait photography, in my opinion, isn't photography. You're doing the same thing. Well, You've got a camera in your hand, yeah. so that's, that's that. But then the little bits where you get to do like a student council or something is the most creative thing you get to do that day. Yeah. So it was that. Then ended up doing weddings and things like that and um, then ended up studying photography properly, which then I went to the Kimberley to go see Dad just because I was like, what the bloody hell am I going to do with this um, advanced diploma? Um, And it was then I got the call from um, uh, Claire, one of the the editors down at the Boston, Dunsborough, Augusta Margaret of the Times, and she gave me the opportunity, even though I had absolutely no experience, to go Mm. down and fill a role from a guy who's been doing the job, Derek Poole, who was amazing, who was somebody who I knew from school because he'd come uh, – it, it was really interesting. I'll go off on tangents, but just bring me back. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, it was really interesting in school. I'd see this guy, Derek Poole, and um, I didn't think much of it, but then I ended up doing his job. Like he'd been doing it for 15 years. Um, and I went in for this job and ended up getting it, and that's what took me down to being um, a photographer down south. Um, right. at the paper right yeah what was it like when you landed that job I was very proud of myself like I'm good at giving myself kudos mm. um not not being too big-headed but knowing that when I've strived for something and I've got it I'll give myself kudos a little bit because mum she's so hard she, like <laughs> she I, I don't have two parents who are like no that's not good enough they were like everything is good enough we're proud of you whatever you do but mum didn't understand photography, so she was just like, awesome, cool, I don't want to see any photos of other people. Like, great. So it was like I had to self um, be proud of myself kind of thing. Yes. So I was stoked because I was like, this is the photography that I want to do. I want to make an mm. impact in the world. I'd always had that calling to make an impact. And what was that impact at that time? Well, what I thought it was yeah. and what it ended up being were, were – so I think as a fo- you, you think working for the newspaper um, that you're going to do all these great, amazing jobs and you're going to make a difference in the world because you hear photojournalists and you think, you know, the Dave Dare Parkers who go to war-torn countries and things like that, obviously not the same at a, at a community paper where a majority of your jobs and being the one photographer to do 12 jobs in a day compared to being... 20 photographers for example at a state paper to do two Mm. jobs in a day so you're just pumping them out kind of thing um i was getting to meet um instead of it being spot news like something that was um like people passing away or car accidents or stuff like that it was like people who had done really well in sport or Mm. wine awards and things like that and while I was doing it in the first few years, I was like, this is freaking awesome. Like I get to go and meet all these really cool people and that, that was great. And I got to broaden my horizons and meet new people and learn lots of new mm. things. Um, 
but there wasn't much spot news so it was all kind of it wasn't fake news but it was like beautiful news like front page pretty stories you know like and so I didn't get to do spot news very much Mm. but then got to do southbound like got to do gourmet escape got to do all these events that I'd get like a backstage pass into and just like me being me I'd be like let's go crazy we're gonna meet everybody and I'll go talk to everybody that I want to meet so got to do some really amazing things as well like with that came really long hours and you get called up like whenever there's things that are happening Mm. like my roster was six days on one day off and on that one day off you'd usually get called by the West Australian which was the same company and they'd be like you know there's been a shark attack or there's been Mm. something happened can you go cover that um so it was busy but you know, he can't have it all. So got to do all those really amazing things, meet mm. idols, you know, got to meet, well, Taj Burroughs is always down there. Yeah. Bless him. Um, he'd be late all the time, but I can't talk. But um, then there would be, you know, people who would come. I got to t- shoot Stevie Wonder. I got to, um, like Sally Fitzgibbons, we got to work really close with her surfer mm. and yeah. like the story that we shot at the time was always a bridesmaid never the bride because she was like trying so hard so hard but she'd never come away with any um like titles so I got to meet her properly before she was like massive and she was just such a wholesome person and i wouldn't have got that opportunity if i wasn't a photographer shooting yeah her. now she's like amazing yeah well she was that she was but <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um thanks if Get in that um, But yeah, so I got to do some really cool stuff, um, but didn't feel kind of, uh, felt really torn when there was the spot news, like the shark attacks. Yeah. Tell um, me about that. So, you know, the big car accidents and things like that, it's what, you, it's what you shoot when you're working for the paper. You don't shoot car accidents, but you go and take photos of, <clears throat> you, do, you go and kind of take photos of the crash if you can get there. They're not going to use it, but they want you to be there because just in case anything comes of it. Um, There was this one time that happened. This was like a really big point in the shift of where I wanted to be and realising what I was doing because we were told for spot news, you've got to just get it done and get those photos, um, whether it feels uncomfortable or not. And that's the difference between you being a good photojournalist and not being a good photojournalist, taking your heart out of it and just doing the job. Um, but we were down at Gourmet Escape. I was down there with, um, I think it was Di Bowens, one of the journalists, and having a great old time, um, you know, sipping wine and having all this great food. And we got a call saying that there'd been a shark attack <coughs> down at um, Redgate. I can't remember where it was. And so we rushed down there. And because we were right there where it was, where it was serendipity call, like that we were there at that time, we got down there when the attack had only really just happened. The ambulance and police were there, but they hadn't kind of cornered it off. They hadn't told family. They didn't know who the victim was yet. The um, helicopter had come to pick him up, so you could see that there was something happening down the beach. It was so far away you couldn't kind of get there. And I hadn't shot much spot news or or. So I just thought, okay, this is it. This is my opportunity now. I don't this know what one I'm... Of a, this was a new spot news Yes, yeah, spot news. Like, you don't get much down south because you're not going to get there for this. So mm-hmm. I was there with my camera and I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but just be here ready to go. And didn't really think about what it was. So just standing there watching, like, not the commotion, it was quite calm. But then all of a sudden there was a... Um, 
a young girl who kind of sped past all of us. There was only myself from the West Australian and another guy. I don't you know where he was West from. I was working for the West at this point, mm. representing them that weekend because of the gourmet mm. escape. And um, this girl sped past me and I thought, this is what I'm going to show. I'm going to get a, you know, like I'm going to show myself I can do this. And um, she sped past, didn't really know who she was, didn't know anything, but just kind of kept my camera up, which felt wrong at the time, but I like was pushing myself to do it. She went up to the ambulance and um, or the police and they had a chat. We couldn't see what they were talking about. And she just, she was up on this ledge and she just let out this big, like I'm crying in you. But she let out this big, huge screech and it was so earth shattering like to watch this girl that we later learned that that was his partner. And she just found out that her partner had died. And we were there. (laughs) Just calm down. Um, I'm a crier from way back, but, um, so I had my camera up and I was shooting this girl, finding out that her partner had died and it felt so wrong, but I, because I was torn, I was telling myself to do it, but I was telling myself to stop. Like the Becky that I am was like, get your camera down, go and help her, like go and calm her. But anyway, so I got the photos and they were for me, because I knew what she was seeing, those photos were really hard to look at for me. If I showed anybody else, they wouldn't really understand. But it was probably at that point that I went, what the frig am I... Like, no, let's face it. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Like, why the fuck am I trying to force myself to do something that just doesn't sit right to me? Because hmm. the reason I started doing this in the first place was to help people or to show awareness and things like that. And maybe somewhere down the track, those images will you know, help someone or, but those photos actually never saw the light of the, a light of day because you can't put that stuff on the front page of the paper. You can't put that stuff anywhere. And that was the shift where so I, no, nothing actually happened with those pictures. And this is the heart, like the heartbreaking thing as well for me as a person getting that, the, the taking photos of somebody in such heartbreak. Yes. It was for no reason, you know, like, it was for me. Like Did you that must have them? been for me. I submitted them. Yep, to the West Australian, but it, it's considered like too sensitive, and also you'd get more rebuttal than I don't know. I yeah. don't know. You you can't. The, the editors have to, and I understand mm. the editors have to make those decisions. It's hard that they get. Mm. You could have a front page. You get told you're having a front page of some an image that you're really proud of, and then that'll get bumped to page fifteen because mm. you know I think it was at the time. This is another instance where Gina Reinhardt's daughter had got married or something, so that it got bumped. But I held on hope for a few months because I'd, I'd put these images in of this this shark attack victim um, uh, girlfriend finding out. I put them into like WA the the, the awards that you put into for the newspaper, mm. and I thought surely you know these will have these will they're impactful images, and at least they'll I'll get an award or something for that you know, that gratification mm. that we chase sometimes and nothing came from it. And I, and it kind of, I can't remember the time frame of that, but I just thought that me forcing myself to do that, be good at that spot news, which is what I thought being good as a um, photojournalist was. I just didn't enjoy that. And it, it mm. wasn't, I didn't enjoy it. I really just felt out of place in my own skin in that moment. Mm. And yeah, so that was kind of when I, was, I think, started to think, am so I is, even... 
So what you thought the job entailed? Yeah. Or rather the actual execution of the job? Yeah. Is not something that sits sits with well you with me. I've call. got empathy. Is my I, I I'm very lucky. We always say this in my group of friends, which I'm also lucky to have. And my sister is that, you know, everything that's happened in your life is a gift. And and I was taught empathy like from a younger age because of if you know so many things that happen like they do for everybody. But empathy and compassion and wanting to help people and wanting to be there. And like I'm a cuddler. All I want to do is cuddle that woman. <laughs> yeah. And you can't because you're a photo, you're a photojournalist with a camera in your hand. You're the muck. You know, like... Why did you say muck? I'm sure... I'm bring Lucy into this even though you'll have to, like, <laughs> some context. But as a journalist or a photographer, you, you're sometimes there when people don't want you there. Yeah. So people don't want to talk to you. They don't want you to be there. But on the other hand, they don't realise that they might be saying, you know fuck off your scum while holding a paper that they're going to read when they get home. Yes. Because it's you're creating content for them to read. Yes. So it's a like double-edged sword in that aspect. Yeah. They want to read about it as, a, as, a, as an observer yeah. and a reader. Yeah. But when it turns around to them, they don't necessarily yeah. want it. There. So, and we'd had like interesting that came from that instant is we'd have, um, you know, people contact the paper going, you know, what happened with the man and all this kind of stuff of who died, like how did he die and what happened? Because they want to know. But you've got to do journalistic work to find out for them, which is what people, like, you get the yeah. label on you for. Um, so, yeah. A- another reason why I, I, that kind of started my journey of out of coming out of photography, but another... Yeah. I probably won't go into too much detail about this, but... When I was down there, when I was down in Dunsborough as well, there'll be a, a really tight, small community. You know everybody. I grew up there. I went to school there. I had different jobs there. And if I didn't work with you or study with you, then I knew you from yeah. taking photos of you at the paper. Like I would probably have known every single person in that town and they know you. Yeah. So you go out for breakfast with your family, but you end up talking to 400 people, which I love, but it's, yeah. you know, you want to sit with your family or friends. But what comes of that is when people make bad decisions. Like in Dunsbury, if, there's, if they decide to, you know, start dealing drugs or if they start to, I know what's a bad, it's, we're starting to deal drugs and if you end up having to write a story about that person, then it's on you. Like, mm. it's not on you. It's not your but fault. It is on you. But it's on you. Mm. And so. And it's difficult to de- delineate between. Yeah, in a small doing town. Job. Yeah, exactly. And um, I understand because. But at the same time, you're bringing to light the fact that someone's made some bad decisions yeah. in a small community. Yeah, but also, I wasn't the. <coughs> like, it was a drug thing. It wasn't. I wasn't the journalist who wrote about it. It was just getting written about because you have to write about everything that's in court. Mm. Um, so, anyway, but I started getting ostracized from. Um, like events and things like that wasn't I would be invited we wouldn't be invited we'd just go and then the people that this happened with were rightfully upset at themselves not me but kind of taking it out Out. on 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 me so um because you're part of the mechanism that brought it to light and shared it with everybody and And again yeah people want to know yeah there's somebody's dealing drugs in their area but then yeah yeah, but then all of you know there's a lot of people who it's a really it's a really 
like slippery slope when you start start talking about that and finding out that you know a lot of people are are in that life that you didn't realize kind of thing so I was just like I, I just know too much about too many people down here and I packed it in I'm over it yeah and I went to America <laughs> just before we get to that um so the two questions that spring to mind one is did you ever meet a more experienced spot journalist and try and reconcile what was going on for yourself or were you struggling with it by yourself on your own at first I was so how the job worked was um Derek the the photographer he he finished before I kind of started so I didn't get to learn from him or anything like that so Mm. I kind of was picking up and learning as I go um so I didn't get to talk to him occasionally I'd get to but he was I think he was so done with the job that he just wanted to go I don't know that I'm similar yeah I'm I don't know that but I'm assuming that you know he he'd packed it in but um I would get to I would always request if I could come and do work experience up at the west or like up up here to get some spot news and then you know obviously there'd be no spot news when I was here for two weeks or not nothing like that would put me in that situation but I had a lot of discussions with photographers um asking them about how they're still in the job and things like that and I was really lucky when I studied that Dave De Parker the like the war photographer um who I would class as a friend of mine now um I got to talk to him a little bit, but I was so young in my journey then that I didn't have the questions to ask him about that. So this was when I was studying before I'd been put out in the field. Um, But I remember actually um, I was working. This is like bringing it back completely. I'd stopped shooting. I didn't want to shoot anymore. Um, I was... Like I'd almost get annoyed if people asked me to take photos. Right. I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not taking any photos. It was very weird. Like I had an anxiety about it yeah. or something. Yeah. Even a physical aversion. Yeah. To the I was like, I'd be upset thinking. Yeah. I have no idea wh- why, but, um, and I remember I was just working at a cafe or something like that, and one of, um, I think it must have been Rob Broadfield, like the food writer, and I just asked him like, Do you ever get sick of like, do you ever not want to do your job and he was just kind of like yeah yeah of course like I've had that those times and there's times like that his career is so long Mm. there's been times that he has not done his job I don't know if it was Rob it was a photographer from the west but um and they were like yeah of course everybody gets that and you have to kind of reassess if that's where you want to be so that made me feel better but it also made me go cool well I don't want to do it right I don't want to be that anymore. And when I was leaving the job down south to go to America, everybody, not so much. My family have always been supportive and my friends because they know I'll just, you know, do whatever and go, you know. Mm. But every single person in the industry is like, don't leave now because it was making that transition from um, print media to being like on the internet and digital. And they were like, don't leave your job. Don't leave your job because you won't get it back. And I just remember being, I just don't give a shit. I don't care if mm. I don't get... It's not that I don't care. I care a lot. Yes. But I, I didn't want that job and I'd made that decision. So, yeah, I was, I was told don't leave, but I did. Um, but, yeah, mm. and I'm glad I did. And so you went to America? Yeah, Camp America of all things. Wow. I was totally lost. I was lost at that point because this, this has been something that I was... Yeah. I can imagine because you've you've spent twelve years, you've worked towards this. Like yeah. you said, you were stoked to get the yeah. job. I thought I wanted yeah. to be that. And and I imagine you know it's it's Becky the photographer. It's part of your identity, and now part of your identity is disappeared. Yeah, 
that would lead yeah. to a great loss. Well, at, at Did that, that take time, some mourning? yeah, completely. But you like, I, I don't. You don't. The thing about mourning, or the thing about um, being upset, is you don't you don't clock in a time on your calendar to be upset or mourn something. You mm. know, it just happens, yes. and whether it happens right there and then. Yes, but it could happen months, it could happen weeks, like it could happen years down the track where you actually, something clicks and you you mourn about it. But I think at that time I'd left that job. I was seeing a guy down there who, you know, I wanted to travel and we'd had a discussion about travelling and like I was so keen to travel and he bought a boat and, and a car. So I was like, that's not travelling kind of, you know, you don't want to travel, you want to stay still. Yeah. And I just wasn't ready. So that was a shift as well. So went over to, and I, I was totally lost, but I went and I applied to the thing, you know, when you go to America, you've got to have, um, to get the visa, you've got to have a professional or something to take you there. So it was photography that took me to Camp America because funnily enough, at the time, I didn't have anything to do with fitness. Um, and you can go and be a coach or like a, a soccer coach or something. But all I had was a photographer. Mm. So they took me in on the basis of me being the camp photographer to get me over there and mm. they give you the visa. <clears throat> you get a month either side or a month yes. before or after. Um, and that's what got me over there because I'd always wanted to go to America. Did you take pictures while you were there? So uh, fun, I was in that space already where I was angry about people asking me to take photos mm. because as well, when you, it sounds really like, oh, poor me, but I don't want to take a photo. Sake, oh, my God, you've got a camera, no. Becky. You've got the ability and you've got the abundance to take, mm. like to have a camera. Mm. So... I was grateful at but the time. But it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah. Just this whole, you know, just listening to you, the, I can, I can, I can always feel how there's this whole, like, inner deeper core reaction to where that camera had taken you yeah. to and what it had forced you to yeah. confront and yeah. come back from. That the camera would be just a symbol of that. Yeah, was totally. This is and like a counselling session. Physically. I think you're missing you calling, Brittany. <laughs> Maybe not. This is it. Some people say that the podcast is like, yeah, this is it. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. Doing good. Thank you. Yeah, helping me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it was like it was totally connected. And at Camp America, you and at at these camps, you're constantly um, taking photos of like little kids and stuff. And I love kids, but I wanted to play with them. I didn't want to. I don't want to be watching them. I want to go and do it. So there was that desire as well where, that I was <coughs> missing out on that because of the camera again. Yes. Um, but uh, like in, in much more reflection of being a photographer, you're, you're at events and you're shooting when the fun's happening. And I'm, I get FOMO. I'm better yeah. at it now. But, <laughs> um, but then also you're working for hours after. You know, so once the fun fun's like kind of finished and there might be some more fun, you've got to edit or, you know, you, the fun kind of ends for you and you've yeah. got to go and edit. Uh, photographers love editing. I didn't love being, I right. wanted to be around like I could shoot for hours and hours and hours and days and yeah. days and days, but the editing of sitting still it would was yeah. killer. But, um, yeah, so that was like wasn't soul sucking, but it was another thing that added. It was good because it really got me out of doing photography, going to Camp America, and it was the most amazing thing. And there was lots of things that also happened in America as well, like um, that contributed to how I felt when I came back. But it was like the you know 
it broke the camel's back kind of thing. It was that the way. gift of it, of a few months of shooting was also like just nail in the coffin kind of thing. Of the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And so you go away to America and you come back. And yeah, just, well, I was lost before I went. So fuck, like, when I came you back. You didn't find yourself. In I didn't find, no, I, it was like a bit of a self-destruction in, in America. Like I've. Um, so we're entering the dark night of the soul. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I, I believe, uh, unless you've gotten away with it without getting to that point, I believe that you do have to get to get to a really low point, and I feel like I've had ebbs and flows in life, and mm. I've gotten to low points, and I've learnt, and I won't get back to that point again. But I do get, I find with the highs. So you're saying that the lows never get quite as low as no, the they low. do feel it. They they feel it, and you feel like you're reminiscent of where you've been previously mm. in that low. But it's never the same yeah. because you've grown as a person, you've learnt more, you've met more people, you've mm. and you've learnt a lesson. But it's like a little gift that you get given to fall so that you can get back up again. Yes. You know, but you'll never fall like you did before. Yes. But <clears throat> so, yeah, came back from America and, yeah, had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew it wasn't fucking photography. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. People, um, people, people <laughs> often overlook the fact that knowing what you don't want to do is, is, is valuable. So, and it's a learning it's point. It's so true. It's true because yeah. I did. I knew, and I and I. Oh, if it's not that, it's yeah, it's else. certainly not that. But it as well, it like makes you feel a little bit more lost because it's you've put so much time and energy yeah. into this that you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna have to start again. Yeah. But then going back to dad having to re- had having restarted, he restarted at 43. So to me, that was never out of the question. I could keep mm. restarting, and I say this to my coaches, and yeah, I say this to people like. Don't worry about that. Mm. You can change your mind at any point. Yeah. It's okay. I um, I did a podcast with a chap called um, Brodie McCulloch, who um, runs uh, a big co-working space for budding entrepreneurs in the city. Yeah. And he's he's put forward that um, if you look forwards, um, you know, we're looking at probably changing our careers, every, you know, seven or eight times during our working life. Yeah. So it's getting used to that. I believe that. And, and being, yeah. being okay with it. Mm. Because I believe it's not, and we'll hear more about what you've done. Um, I believe it's not actually that difficult. The biggest thing that slows you down is you. To, in hold, life in general. And holding on to that yep. identity of, well, yep. I used to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. Or I used to be that. Mm. So I used to be that. Mm. Uh, I was pretty good at that. So anyway. But it gave me things. Like being a photographer gave me things to where I am now. And I'm yeah. shooting again. Like yeah, We're going to come to that. Yeah. yeah. But it, all those people I met with the camera all those everything I did everything I got to experience was was a gift leading up to where you know where you're going mm. so what was the lowest of the low bit so the lowest of the low I was working at a bar um of all places like the culture of drinking is like I've known this for a long time this like in in my family and things like that they don't drink my brother doesn't drink having drank and then mum didn't drink for a while. So I've known this, like, drinking is not good. Mm. Um, but I was working at a bar, lost, not knowing what I wanted to do. And I find when I'm lost or when when I've got so much going on, I I don't drink like it's 6 o'clock in the morning, which is what's classed as an alcoholic. But these days, 2018, problem with drinking is that we're all binge drinking or that we all get absolutely fucked up. 
And then I have this thing that I call it a depression session for three or four days. Mm. And I don't... Or anxiety. I, yeah. From talking to people, not everybody gets it, but a lot of people do get it. And it's this self-hatred and it's like mm. in, in your mind just going, you're shit, you're shit, you haven't achieved anything and you know, you've know accomplished nothing in your life. And I just I don't resonate with anything that I say and in my brain at that point. it's not as obvious as a headache no. or no. something like that. Not so at you all. still physically... Yeah. And I realize I've had that. I'd had that since I started drinking mm. when I was younger. Mm. And it was all of this that like even now at this point I go... Fuck, it's amazing that I've gotten to where I am from all that self-sabotage, from mm. all of those voices in my head every day. And the culture that we have is you get, you know, you get drunk or even if you don't get fucked up, like let's say yeah, fucked yeah. up, even if you have a drink, the alcohol... There's a, there's in, a continual level of sedation. Yeah, but then you have three days grace and then you start drinking again yeah, because yeah. it's like, woo, it's Thursday. Wednesday. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a difference. But back then, yeah. it's Wednesday, you know, and like then you have three days grace and it's a weekend and then it's like there's always something and people want drink in your hand. Why aren't you drinking? You've yes. got to give them an excuse. You've yeah. got, or it's like, hugely confronting when you turn up to a deer and say, oh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm not drinking. Yeah, Why? because they've been conditioned to think that you've got to drink because mm. they feel like they can be themselves when they're, when they're mm. drinking. We're so fearful of just being yourself and being stupid or sounding stupid or not stupid. Yeah, but without the caveat of, oh, he was pissed at the time. Yeah, totally. And there's been a few instances where I've been out not drinking and danced. I love dancing. I will be caught on the dance floor plenty of times. But like where people go, oh, you were so drunk last night. And I was like, I didn't drink last night. Like that was, I don't yeah. need that excuse. I'm high I, on life. Yeah, I was high on life because you were drunk. But, um, yeah, so it was the, like the serving alcohol, obviously, yes, in, in sorry. bars. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. no. It's, it's, I'll yeah. go off on a tangent. No, you, I noticed. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, because you're around that alcohol and it's something, like I'd been in photography where you go and take photos of bands and things like that, so you drink and then there's that culture of like the drugs and stuff like that. So I've had that, I'd had that already. Yes. Um, so I, like, I wasn't a stranger to that, but then I was in this culture now of hospitality, like a whole, whole different ball game, but hospitality where you drink, you stay up late nights, you sleep in throughout the, you know, in the morning. Yeah. Um, and being lost in that environment. And I think a lot of people are a little bit lost if you're not studying or, or anything like that. If you're, mm. this will sound offensive too. I, I, it doesn't resonate with me to be to work in the bar for the rest of my life, but for some people it would, so yeah. I can't put that judgment on. But I think a few people are lost in that environment, so they go to a bar and because it's fun and you don't, but you're not drinking at the time, but after you hit it hard, you know all the right places to go. You can get in for free. You can get a hold of whatever you want to get a hold of. And, um, yeah, so, and that is just like a cocktail of putting the depression sessions I didn't mention either. I was in, so from traveling, from buying cameras, from all of that, I was in about 40, 50 grand's worth of personal debt because budgeting or talking about that wasn't in my family. It was, I was had a really bad money story. Like, you know, I don't deserve any money and I just don't deserve right. to be with anybody with money. And I, you know, all of that kind of thing. So there was that all happening. And, mm. um, I was living really close to the bar and I, um, I'd had an experience when I was in America, the house that I was living with, living in, 
I'd let people kind of sublet because I was good. I had the intention to come back and move into that house. Mm. And those people ended up, they didn't trash the house. They had a party when they weren't supposed to have a party and the fence got knocked down. I got kicked out of the house while I was in America. So again, bringing my amazing friends into this, I was still in America and they moved everything out of my house, cleaned it, but mm. this, this person wouldn't move out of the house. So I incurred like about a five grand kind of debt from... Mm people still living in the house but me being kicked out so yeah yeah so yeah anyway i ended up with a lot of debt and all these bills coming in for houses that i didn't live in when i was working at this bar and being told i owed people this and that and i'd gone onto my credit card and um you go to bed like everything's fine you think everything's fine but i just woke up in the biggest panic and anxiety attack and I, it was foreign to me because i'd not really had that mm. I'd been anxious with the camera, but I'd never had such. That was the one of the biggest lows at that point because it just was a turning point because I was like, fuck, what am I doing? What am I going to do? And people, you know, like I'm surrounded by a lot of um, help with mental health, you know, living. Mm. Um, it ain't weak to speak and stuff like that. My boss is like one of the ambassadors, so I'm surrounded by a lot of that. But if people don't talk, you know, back then people don't talk about mental health kind of thing. Mm. We've so we're, People are talking about it a lot more now, but it's still definitely not talked about enough and it's not common enough. But I didn't have any kind of suicidal thoughts or anything like that. I don't think I ever will. I don't think that's in me. But mm. I felt like there was nothing I could do mm. and nowhere I could go and nobody I could turn to even though I have a loving family, the best of friends, great people I worked with and stuff like that. So it was a really foreign thing to me, for me to feel trapped in all these mistakes that I'd made. Yes. But weren't mistakes, they were gifts, and you know, down the track. Yeah. It, you have to go through that. But yeah, so that was, and I called Lifeline because I was like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, oh wow. Like, because I just didn't know where else to go. I had no intention of anything happening, but I was just like, surely you get people calling you in this position and you can get financial help and stuff like that. Yeah. I had the initiative to help myself. Yes. Some people don't have that initiative, you know. And But yeah, so that was that was a very low point. And for some apparent reason, I don't know what time frame it was, I was like, oh, you're going to be like, we're going to get there. I was like, oh, I'm just going to go see. I'm just going to go into AAF and see if I should be a personal trainer. Go to where? Be at Australian Institute of Fitness. Yeah. I was like, maybe, maybe I'll be a good personal trainer. What, simple as that? L- literally. And I was like, maybe I'll put, book myself into the course. Maybe I won't. I don't have any desire to do it. But, you know, why not? I'm all about something, it. Something took me there. Though. Yeah, something took me there. And, yeah, that's where I'm at now. So... Mm. Um. What was that like? I ended up, it was the biggest gift as well. Like all these other gifts that I've been given, I met some amazing people, but um, I was in such a low that I needed to be surrounded by all these people who were coaches who were like lifting you up, telling you that, and fitness. I hadn't really used fitness to help my mental health. Whereas Mm. now from that point and to now, my mental health is so much better because I, I use it for mental health. Mm. And, you know, the you studies... Can take control, you can take control of something. Yeah, or you can just be... No, you can think of nothing for 45 minutes yes. or an hour or however long you're working out. Because you, 
You can't be anxious and you can't be depressed because you pump you, by yeah. the way your body works. You're just pumping all this adrenaline yeah. around. Yeah, all the energy is going to that. It's not and, going and, to. And so physiologically, you can't feel depressed. Mm. You're in exercise. Yeah, it's just fact. Yeah, and it was a, it was funny that it took me there and like as well. <laughs> I was already in debt. I'm talking about sales before. Like when when you're there, they want to you know like they want to upsell. They don't want to upsell. It was it was amazing to go there. Can't, I'm not going to take that away. But they want you to do business and stuff. And and I signed away doing this business course, which I didn't realize at the time was eight grand. I thought that in total was eight grand. That's how bad I was with money. That mm. somebody told me this is how much it's going to cost, and I didn't hear that I was just about to get myself into sixteen grand's worth of debt. Yeah. But thank God I did. Out of that now, but it was at that point as well that working at the bar that I was working at I had a girlfriend my digestion was really bad I had a girlfriend who introduced me to it's network marketing it's isogenics but that just helped my gut so my brain was clear and I didn't have to worry I'm not a great cook didn't have to worry about food so that happened all at the same time so my gut was starting to be good Mm. as well as being around all these amazing people being physical um and like I said, when I walked in, I had no intention of it being anything, but I thought, yeah, I want to help people, and this is helping people every single day. Mm. And I thought, because, shit, this is it. Yeah, because this is one of the things. <clears throat> this is one of the things I wanted to ask you. Listen to the story. You know, you, right at the very start, we talked about what I wanted to do in terms of help, and what I ended up doing with the photography were two very different things. So, what what is it actually now that you want? to do what's the impact you want to have so it's making an impact on the world and from talking to people some people have this desire to help people and some people don't and some people's purpose in life is to be the like the most amazing mother to the most amazing child and that child will then become something you know like Mm. not taking anything away from somebody who isn't like impacting 700 lives you're impacting one and the people around you Mm. But I wanted to make a massive impact on the world. I'd always seen myself making a big impact. Where does that come from? I don't know. I have. I don't know. I think. I think you know. It's just strength for adversity comes into my mind. Like from having from Mum's story, where she'd come from, and she was also a social worker as well. Because of her story, that got her into social work. Um, I think the need to help people was ingrained in me and mm. and the empathy and the the qualities and the what my mum and dad taught us without even realizing they hid that, that they were breaking up but they just instilled in us just to be kind and just to be good and just to, you know help out where you can and um our family unit even though we didn't have the six families you know the seven families of extended family we had our own family and we were a solid unit kind of thing and you just mm. stuck together but then when that kind of broke up our girlfriends were of the family we chose so a quality that myself and um, my sister share i i uh, like i'm a fucking good friend like if you're my friend you better watch out (laughs) if you need anything i've got you back like not to the detriment of myself but i'll be there for you kind of thing but then you attract those people and i've got some amazing people in my life from going through that but wanting to make such a big impact I as well, while I was studying to be a personal trainer, I went um, over to this, for my 30th birthday, I went to this thing called Celebration, which is like, it's run by the Isogenics, but it's pretty Mm. much teaching you to be a good human and like 
getting you into the habit of writing gratitude and getting mm. you to, into the habit of what impact you do want to make. And from my whole life until then, I hadn't sat down and written what it is or what impact I want to make or what it is I want to do. So it was that that honed it in. But then also I was starting to be a personal trainer. So I was like, shit, I'm on the path. This is happening. Like I can help people. And then learning learning something again, I was 29. So I went back to restudy again at 29. And I'd never wanted to be somewhere so much. And I was so keen to learn, but I find it hard to learn. So it was like, but I was learning and I was getting all this information in and you'll hear this about when you go to study at places like that, you're not there for long. Mm. But I believe that like anything, if you do something for three, if you do something for a short amount of time learning it and you realize that that's what, it, what you want to do, you'll learn on the field. Yes. It's just a, this is a taste of what it's going to be like. Mm. If you want to do it, you've got to do it yourself. It yeah. takes you to that place. You go find it yourself. And yeah. then you're going to go and do it yourself. And when it came time to do um, trainer experience, I was like, I'm going to do trainer experience everywhere with everything and I want to see because I'd lived the life of knowing that if you want something you've got to get it and if you don't know what it is you've got to find it kind of thing so I went and did um, uh, fitness with kids and I went and did um, fitness one-on-one I ended up working like at a cheerleading gym not my jam um, but then also on this thing called a fire night where all the gyms come so to this fire. is after you've Done your course and now you're so this your is, training. Phase. Yeah, so this is like they this is like the grad not graduation but the end of your course. They start to provide people that you could possibly go and work with. Right. And they bring all the gyms into the um mm-hmm. the AIF and you and it just happened to be that because I'm a um I keep on hitting the mic, sorry. Because I'm such a I love not networking, I love people, I like talking, I love learning mm. about people. Saying that some days I'm just like, Don't talk to me. So that's, I just want to make it clear for some people that I get days where I'm just like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and thankfully nobody had gone and talked to, it was um, a a guy who played rugby. It was Matt Hodgson. And um, I had no idea who he was because I didn't watch rugby. I was all soccer from being in England, AFL from going and watching it down south Mm. and had no idea. Wandered up at the end of the night. Hi, how are you going? Like, what's this all about and got shown the video of f45 is that this is it you reckon you can do that and i was just like yeah give it a go i could if not i'll die trying kind of thing and it was interesting the chick that was with him was like you didn't even know who he is do you and i just thought my head like what the fuck does it matter what are you talking about Mm. and but it was the gift of me having worked with so many like at the paper joel parkinson and like you know mick fanning or like yeah People with, um, there's a word, I'm looking for it, they're famous. Like they've got a following and stuff like that. Yes. And me having to just settle into it, you can't get a photo if you're starstruck. Yes. So it's from that, that when she said that, it didn't make me nervous. I just went, no, I don't have any idea. Anyway, he was like, yeah, come in. And he gave me the opportunity. Did you drop out all the other names that you've ever worked with? No, I didn't. <laughs> no. I haven't been in, like I, sounds like a, I sound like a name dropper and I hate name droppers, but... Um, don't hate. Hate's a strong word, Bryn. I don't say hate. But um, it was from him giving me that opportunity that um, I went and worked in this gym, even though I was working at the cheerleading gym. And I thought, yeah, cool. F45, you don't write the programs. Um, tech, like me and tech, not I'm not great. I want to be ground level working with the people. So what it meant for me 
another gift was that I can help people get fit and strong and I don't have to worry about writing the program, the st- stress of that at night because that's not my forte and mm. it's not my strength. My strength is being there for people while they're doing the training. Yes. And where that's taken me now is I was just a coach at that point because I was in so much debt I ended up taking an admin role um, uh, just like <clears throat> being at like a um, – it was to do with maths actually. Can't, can't do maths for the life of me but it ended up doing that. Another story which is what helped me – I met some people in there in corporate and realized that corporate wasn't my jam, which is what then made me want to be a personal trainer full time. So anyway, I was just a coach and I was doing that other job, um, kind of 8.30 till like 6 and then working in the morning or night. And I kind of went, I could do this. Like I'm actually really good at this. Not for me, but I, when people walk in that door, I have a genuine interest in you being the best version of yourself. Mm. And I know that with this program that I didn't have to write, that I know works because I use it myself. Yes. And I think that's an important part. Exactly. That you're going to, you don't even know, but you've just walked into the best gym ever. And you're going <laughs> to meet some amazing people because now something I do at the gym is I force people to introduce themselves because I know that that's a quality that I have. I'll introduce myself to a tree. Yep. <laughs> to a tree. <laughs> Not a tree, but I mean, depends what tree, but <laughs> um, so there's that because it's camaraderie. And again, going back to the mental health, I know that every single person that walks in that door has got a story or has got something that that particular day they might be struggling with, or there might be nothing that's a catalyst for that. But that day, mm. they feel like terrible, but they manage to get themselves to that, to that point. And we've got a thing in the gym where if you're there, and you just want to be there. You don't want to, like, you know, you get a red sticker. We, we don't actually do the red sticker, but it's like we talk about the red sticker. I'm like, you're just here. I don't have to talk to you. I'm not going to push you hard. Mm, I've just turned up. But you've just turned up. And the beauty Which of in the program. Is yep. So, and seriously. An yeah. And exactly. And like, <laughs> pardon me, going through studying personal training, you've got those stages, like the um, contemplative stage, where once you get past that point and you're in the gym, they're there. But then also once you get into the gym, you can see there's different stages of being in the gym where some people for months, they might just be there. Yes. And kudos to them because they're frigging there. I'm showing up. Yeah, you're showing up. Then some people get to that point. And it's just a day and it's really exciting to see that, that day where they'd make a switch and they go, I'm going to put everything into this and I'm going to make a change for myself. I'm not proving it to anybody else. Mm. I'm doing this for myself and their training amps up and they tell me about, you know, that their nutrition has changed. So um, they're, talking, they're starting to take control. And take yeah, and for themselves because as well, you can't you mm. can't make somebody do that. And there are personal trainers or trainers out there that are like, come on you, and like, you know, come on you fat bastard or come on this or you're weak or come on, get up mm. off the floor and like that whole personal training thing, give me 20 push-ups boot or camp type boot stuff. camp. And that works for some people. Yeah. Um, but I believe in, because it worked for myself, you can't be somewhere unless you want to be there. Yes. And these people are there because they want to be there. And my style of training and helping them out is that they are doing it for themselves. Like yes. the program works and stuff. But as well with nutrition, I get the opportunity. We scan people. I get to talk to somebody about their nutrition. And 
this is a whole we could do a whole nother podcast on like the dieting culture at the moment and how people mm. think that they have to go on a diet or think that they have to be strict or i've had dietitians yeah. and nutritionists on, on the podcast about yeah like, making proper choices yeah well not even and like just forgiving yourself people come to me and I'll go, hey, going with the eight-week challenge, like it's very limiting, so we'll guide them to have more food. And surprise, exciting news for most people these days is you have to eat more food. You're not eating enough. But they'll go, oh, you know, I had a pizza on Thursday and then, you know, I didn't have my magnesium on Friday night. And I'm like, okay, so there's 14 days in this period that you've told me about and there's what like t- how many meals in how many meal opportunities in that 14 days yes you do the math for me Brent. i'm not, <laughs> not good at math 14 days about 14 days of meals and out of those 14 days you 14 just days. told me the two <laughs> things that you did wrong i yep. want to know about the two things you did wrong i yeah. want to know about the things you did right yes and you have to remind yourself about mm. all the things that you've done right i've uh, recently it's interesting you say that because i've recently um been studying a couple of quite successful entrepreneurs and they often say you know the rule of 80 20. 80% of the time they totally. pat themselves on the back. 20% of the time <laughs> yeah. they give themselves a kick up the arse. Yeah. But it's 80 20. Too often we have it the other way around. Totally. Yep. We're 80% of the time down on yep. ourselves. Yep. And then we're not, ha- and it's interesting listening to you because we're not, you know, it doesn't help when we start, you know, we're down on ourselves. So then we start having a drink and then that leads totally. to the depression anxiety yep. session. Yep. Do, 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 it's do, 2018 do. and we're so, we're so shadowed by what other people are doing mm. because we've got it in our hand. And no matter, I think that I'm a pretty control, like I can stop myself from being on Facebook, but there's sometimes where I don't. And comparing yourself to other people's life, back in the day, we had no idea what Tom and Susan were doing down no. the road unless we went to Tom and Susan's house. Yeah. Also with this, like the dating scene, I'm single, but they, I've been single in like different decades. Like, so it's, it's so different now. Mm. Like, Back in the day, you would be introduced to a friend's friend and that was okay. Now, you don't get introduced to your friend's friend because your friend's friend might have beat with them or that's your friend's uncle's, like, dog's ex-partner. So you yeah, can't yeah. be with that person. Yeah. So Overthought. Yeah. But then back to the – sorry, I went off a tangent as I do. No. But back to the dieting culture and talking about things that are wrong and right – like people crucify themselves so much for having that pizza and or like a burger and I'm like like was there vegetables on the pizza were there vegetables in the burger that's not a bad thing that's okay you just can't have that for four meals a day yeah like that's not a bad thing you have to forgive yourself and get over it and move past it that's that doesn't Cut out everything. Yeah. That doesn't give you a free pass to go. Yeah, like say doing it every. No, day. but if you give me, but if you give people permission to mm. just be themselves, and I, and we because we've got this, it's an eight week challenge. Now I'm, I always say to people that that eight weeks is a snippet of what your life's going to be like. So in that eight weeks, you're going to have weddings, you're going to have things that you have to go to, and you, and things are going to happen. Favorite saying is life's going to happen because, and you have to make the decisions at the time. Like. Yeah. When you go out drinking, have a drink. It's fine. It's okay. Like, don't go out and get a kebab after and then the next day go and have, like, you know, all of this shitty food. And then because you've had that, have shitty food for the next day and then go, oh, well, I'm going to start the diet on the 24th because just have it, do it, be it. Own it, enjoy it. Own it, enjoy it and move on. Like, and again, I'm lucky I've got a girlfriend who's a dietitian, Lizzie Yorkston. She's has helped me with this in my mind like I know that I was lucky with my non-dieting culture because mum was never on a diet so mum would just like 
grab she'd be like you need more greens on your plate so she'd go to the fridge get the spinach out of the fridge put her hand in it and be like there you go so I never grew up you know with that but yeah I'm lucky which makes you a great podcast guest um so where are you now with uh, just just for the person who's um, driven past an F45 place, because they are all over the place. Yeah, there's heaps now. Um, just give us a brief insight to that. And where are you now with this? So F45 is, it's functional F45, so it's all um, body weight or use dumbbells, kettlebells, so you don't use any machines. So it's all about moving the body properly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's cardio and there's also resistance, so which is good for your body as well. But what comes in this, and it's all the... Um, there's what's screens. the 45 around? 45 minutes. Right. Except for trick you, there's an hour on a Saturday with a DJ. So <laughs> it's like just give Lou you in false hope and then Saturday, boom, one hour session. Yeah. Um, but there's a DJ. So my favorite day because I get to dance around like a, a numpty. But um, yeah, so mm. but what comes with that is it's group training. And like we were talking about before is there's camaraderie and there's, you know, there's somebody with you the whole time. You've always got coaches with you, but you've always got your training with someone. Um, and it's completely taken off. There's so many of them around. And as I'm lucky because I'm not a gym owner, I get to be the head coach. But there's so many around now that there's competition. So you have to be good. Yes. Which to me, I'm like, awesome. I have to be good and our coaches have to be good. And something that I think that we have in our gym and they may be in the others is F45 Subiaco and West Leedy and the guys used to own the airport as well. But, um, when they walk into our gym, I know that they're going to get looked after. They're not going to be like, I introduced myself as soon as I walk in the door. So they feel at home. And something I didn't say is why I started to be a personal trainer is because, or I started to realize this while I was studying it, that, Mm the people who need to go into the gym don't feel comfortable to be there. Exactly. And that just breaks my heart. Like people who just need that little bit of an extra kick or just need to be even just left alone and not judged so that they can go on their own journey. But when you go into a gym and there's guys or girls that, to be fair, they're not cocky or confident. They're going through their own journey as well. And they've got their own insecurities that they're putting onto this person who might be you know, it might have a bit of extra weight on them. And all these labels of overweight, like all the labels that you get given of somebody who's overweight. But then I could talk about this all day, but somebody who's really, really like who's bigger, who's actually anorexic. Yes. Like, and talking about the, the fitness industry at the moment, it's really, really dangerous where there's these fitness competitions. And even the name of fitness competition... I'm could I'm not like opening myself up to a challenge, but for some of these men and women, they're not fit. They're aesthetically, like they look aesthetically good. Yes. For me, I don't I don't resonate with that because I know what comes with that, and it's a lot of restriction. But yes. then it's also what comes with that. These are also some people who've done these fitness competitions might be somebody who's been fit their whole life. But what's happening now is there's like an epidemic of people who want to do fitness industries because they've had weight on them and they want to get to that point. And to them, because they see all these people on Instagram and Facebook, mm-hmm. that they want to get to that, not knowing that they're going to actually give themselves an eating disorder or you can't, that's not sustainable. 
and I'm not bashing it because there's so many benefits that come from just actually turning up and doing from it. actually turning up and, 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 and I don't want to having a goal yeah and, and I don't want to take away from that exactly but and I don't want to take away from that but it really as a coach and I've only been a coach for a very short amount of time but as a woman and as a human in this day and age it's dangerous of where that's going and that that's become a fad because unless you have guidance after then you're never going to get to that point unless you eat like watching watching what they eat and stuff sometimes if they haven't met their macros which is like your proteins your fats and your um carbohydrates if you haven't met that in a day then people will have like you know a spoonful of walnuts or they'll have like a spoonful of peanut butter or that's not living no and that's these people don't realize that they're not going to be able to sustain that unless and they're called athletes they're not they're not athletes you're not an athlete you've got no skill (laughs) except for being strict and can you sustain that for the rest of your life Mm. do you know what i mean unless you're somebody who's made a living of it and this is just again my personal opinion and it but from what i see the people that come into our gym who are looking for help would be exactly the same people who are going into their gym. And I know that I'm going to help them for it. Like I would instill things in them that will take them once they leave our gym. But it scares me that sometimes people who will go to those places because then once that person's done that Mm. and they've done a fitness competition, they go and get a nutrition course and then they teach other people how to do it. Yeah. And so it's yeah, but continues. to be to be a, a dietitian for you're a doctor as a dietitian you've studied for years and years and years and years and years, whereas if you do a nutrition course, it can be month a month. Yes. And unless you're you know what, unless you have had a life that's led mm. you and you've got the knowledge, then learning that much in a, because that's people's lives. Like, yeah, I could go on about this. <laughs> it's it's interesting now because I'm you know. There's, there's two things that come out. One is you really are making this impact now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. Well, no, but you really are. Yeah, yeah. You're not trying. You yeah. are. Thank Just you. listening to you. Yeah. You know, from 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 the start of this conversation, where you know, the difference between the two. But then it, it's fascinating because we're, we're coming back to some very similar themes that come out across all my podcasts. Is about enabling people to start to take responsibility for themselves and their choices mm-hmm. and then acting congruently from those you wake up to the fact that you are responsible for your choices and what's going into your body and where you're going and the, your mindset yeah your career choice and your, your peer group and your family it goes on and on and on yeah and and you know i've sat here with quantum physicists and you know the choice of your your responsibility of choice goes deeper than anybody who has could yeah. ever imagine mm. And then from that awakening, then the next part is then acting congruently and taking action upon that. Mm. You know, if you try and go away from this, you, you can you're gonna have to hide mm. from yourself. Yeah, you go back into my concept. Well, of being honest see. always, like even coming on this podcast, I was like, do we, do I be honest? Because I something that I've always been is honest. Like I, it's yeah. gotten me into trouble before, but I don't mind. Like, but I'm an yeah. oversharer from way back because I know that. In every aspect, whenever I've met any person or done anything, I've been honest. There's no point I haven't. Mm. So I was like, I'm just going to be honest. Mm. Like, and I'll always be honest and I'll always 
try and I, what I try to do is make sure that I'm learning. Like my opinion can change. Yes. You know, like well, that's fine. I don't have a completely like I will learn if somebody were to show me a way that that will work or something like that. Then I'm I'm completely open to that. And my I have changed as a person. I think five or six times in yeah. my lifetime, who I am now compared to who I was three years ago, five yeah. years ago, ten years ago, is completely different. But yeah, it's I've always I think had that like you said, that passion to help people and this I can. This is your vehicle towards that. Yeah. And I feel really I feel really lucky that I've got to this point. Like I, we've hit a we've hit a point at our gym now where we've got a certain amount of members and it's like it's a really exciting thing for me. But what that means for those people is I know that I'm impacting those lives. But I know now that my coaches, I'm helping them impact lives and they're helping so me. So your impact is scaling. Now. Yeah. So then, like, not teaching them, but letting those people like flourish in, into themselves. And like, it's so exciting that we've got clients, and I love them each deeply. But my coaches, like, they don't also don't know that I love them deep. Like, they know because I tell them, and I'll cuddle them imagine. all the time. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Um, but watching those guys grow and knowing that, like we said before, the only person that's in your way is you. Yes. And when you realize that you're like mind blowing, you're yeah. like, you get, you go into like a bit of mourning, like you said, because you go, fuck, I've been holding myself back for a yep. long time. I've been sedating myself. Uh, myself and you just get pissed with yourself and then you go into a bit of self-hatred and you're like, you're yeah. an asshole, you're an asshole. Okay. Let's get back into it. Yeah. And, and then you get also... I also find you get scared that you yeah. might go back. Yeah, scared that you might go back, but scared that you actually might achieve something. Yes. It's like, oh, my God, I can do this. And, like, all these things, all these visions and, and like, goals that I've written mm-hmm. down, they might actually happen. But then you're like... Especially when you write them down. Yeah, especially when you write them down. And if you've got a whiteboard, Bryn, shit, shit's going to get real. <laughs> it, it already has. That's why it's been the title but, of the podcast. And it's funny cause, because what... The photography has led me, like I've been a dish pig. I've worked on like, you know, washing dishes in and I've worked out on farms and I've done all that kind of stuff. And I've said yes to all these jobs. I've been a photographer. I've been a personal trainer. And now I don't think it's the end of me being a personal trainer or a coach, but where this has led me now is realizing that I am capable of so much more. Mm. And I've gotten, I realized that I do love photography because I was going to say, now you yeah. started to put the camera back yeah. up again, haven't you? And I've kind of made, um, not rules, but um, I will only work with people who are helping other people. Right. So I will only work with small businesses or anybody in the health and wellness industry. I don't want to do any corporate jobs where they're not essentially helping people. If it's a big corporation and that their main ethos and vision and they're mm. like, is that they help people in the long run? Sure, mm. but my I shoot now, so I'm doing branding for people. Um, it's mainly females, but some, but in the health and wellness industry, and then also showing them how to find themselves. I'm working with like a business coach as well, which is essential. Mm. I feel like when you get to this point, because there's there's things that I'm good at and there's things that I'm not, and you need. Mm. I, I find having having a business coach, kind of somebody to bring you into line to go. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do it? Yeah. But then also trusting yourself, like people will say, like, I'm doing a podcast. I want to do a podcast coming forward and people going, what's your genre? And like people saying it has to be this, this or this. And I'm like, do you know what? 
I don't want a genre. I'm doing whatever the fuck I want because I'm doing the podcast. Like, <laughs> and eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually something will come out of it and it'll end up being a theme. Correct. But, and I'm sure I'm like I'm sure I'll hit walls and stuff like that. But at the moment, I don't have to worry myself with making that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I feel like I can make a bigger impact this way. I just, I've, there's a lot I want to do. And now because I've had all of those things that have happened and for me and I've had those lows, I know that I can get out of them. Like I had one, if we're being completely honest, I had a low, like a pretty big low for the last, maybe it was a month ago for about two weeks. And I was just, I just couldn't get out of it. It was just this big rut but I think it was an overwhelm of what was coming because I knew what I wanted to do. Yes. And then also there's me trying to explain it. Who knows what it was, but I had that. But having the ability to get out of it and making sure that you approach your friends and you talk to people and you don't feel like a burden to people because people want you to succeed. And the people who don't want you to succeed are generally not jealous, but they're like they want to succeed themselves and they're not doing it. Yes. Which is where... I went yeah, to that as well. Yeah, what's it called? The sort of crab in the bucket syndrome, I call yeah, it. Yeah, or the it's called sort of like creative jealousy, whereby you, you know you you see somebody striving to do something, and then you just you shit on it because yeah, um, yeah, because ultimately it's reflecting back on you. Yep, exactly. And the biggest so the saying that I I don't have it on it's on my phone, but so I've a saying came to me as soon like in the most pivotal point of my life when I was working at this nine to five job just to get money. I've never worked in my life just to get money, but it was this job, this corporate job while I was studying to be a personal trainer. I was getting bullied at work and like this, this corporate is very male dominant in this particular field. And, um, I've never felt so shit about myself from somebody else or letting somebody else make me feel so shit. Letting somebody else, but then this saying, I like, it's funny how it's just a saying or something comes to you mm. at the right time. It says, um, how somebody treats you is not about, it doesn't say anything about you. It's a reflection of how they feel about mm. themselves. I'm sure I've said that wrong. Yeah. We'll put it in the notes. But um, it's essentially projection. It's essentially nothing. You can't take anything personally mm. because how somebody's feeling that day is nothing to do with you. And that saying as well of, you know, what somebody thinks of you is none of your business. Mm. Like you got to do you and so long as you keep on doing you in any aspect, whatever field or whatever profession that you're choosing, then you'll be great and you'll Mm. do do good. And yeah, you might not be a public speaker on the stage who's like got thousands and thousands of people in front of you and you're making them walk over fire, Tony Robbins, yeah. But (laughs) you may be a mother who's bringing up a child and that, yeah. that day that child survived, kudos to you. You know, mm. like it's different for everybody. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you could go back to the point where, um, if you go back to the, the point where Becky was struggling with being a photographer and give her a piece of advice from where you are now, what would that be? Oh, good question, good question. Good question, Bryn, you get 10 points for that. Thank you. you get 10 if you answer. <laughs> okay, pressure. Um, just trust in yourself. I think the message for the whole 
everything that happens in life is if you just let it be and not control, not try and control things, not look back at the past, not look into the future and just stay in the present and appreciate Mm. what it is but always take action to be, always take action then. That would be it and probably that you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to be right. Girl, you're going to be fine. That's what I'd say. (laughs) What's Becky grateful for? So many things. Um, It sounds the same thing that everybody says. I'm really grateful for my family and the dynamics of my family. I'm grateful for the experience that that they've had and that they've gone through for me. I'm so grateful for people giving me opportunities. And I'm grateful that I have the ability to just let things be sometimes and my ability as well to talk to people and have confidence in myself, even if I'm faking it till I make it. Yes. To just talk to to people because it's gotten me the best friends, it's gotten me jobs, it's gotten me the you know, to where I am, I think. There's so many things I'm grateful for. I'm sure I forgot. It's like a speech, like your 21st speech. I'm forgetting someone. I'm forgetting someone. (laughs) I'm grateful for you, actually, for asking me. It's so funny how this happened. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Indeed. And what does Becky do to keep herself grounded? And what are these sort of your successful habits beyond, obviously, working out? Okay. So something that... um, so if I can't get to, I get up early in the morning, I get up at four. Um, I set my alarm for four now so that I can meditate, which I'm not great at meditating, but meditating, I mean, sitting still for 10 minutes and I put Deepak Chopra on and it's in the background. Mm. And sometimes meditating looks like there's nothing in my brain. And sometimes meditating looks like there's fuckloads going in my brain. <laughs> yes. I try really hard, <laughs> but it's, but just, it's just being there. It's just being there. Yeah. Um, my shower in the morning, and it was from Tony Robbins. Like he has that cold, he does a cold bath. Cold immersion, yeah. Um, so if I've got a morning off, like this morning I went to the beach and went in. It was a girlfriend who told me this ages ago. She's like, just get in the water. And so I started doing mm-hmm. it. So now I'll do that. But if I'm waking up at 4 o'clock, that is the end of my shower. I'll have my shower and then for 10 seconds after I'll have a cold shower. Yes. The benefits of that. Um, I try to journal. Like, I know it's so good for me. When I'm at my best, I'm like writing in a journal and that doesn't mean I'm writing anything profound or amazing. It could be one line. Mm. Um, And just essentially, yeah, bringing myself back to the present and not eating, yeah, eating well Mm. so that my brain works properly. Where will Becky be in the next three to five years? Oh, good question. This is when I was... Okay. All right. Um, I haven't written down the goals, that yeah. even though we were talking about this. And this was something that I was going to say was if you're if somebody who's listening to this who feels like, oh, my God, I'm all over the place, I'm unorganized, I'm late to shit all the time, mate, if I can be here, <laughs> you can be here. Because sometimes I haven't written down goals, I think of them in my head, but... I'm working on having my podcast, mm-hmm. um, just opening up conversation. I will be shooting and helping um, like small business owners and I'll have that to a T. 
I'll be doing some coaching, but only in the group aspect. One-on-one doesn't resonate with me. And I'll be in the next, so this time next year, I want to be in Europe so that I'm movable. My life will be movable if I want to. Yeah. And one day I'll be having babies, but you've got to meet someone who's going to be a good co-parent to have that. So that's my, there's Mm. no, I've never had a time limit. I've never said at 30, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's a bit dangerous by putting a number, not a number, um, but an age on things. Mm. So I don't have an age, never have an age. If I can give advice to anybody, don't put an age on things, put a feeling like how you want to feel once you've done this kind of thing. So, yeah. So, um, bearing in mind, you've just sort of outlined where you'd want to be in the next three to five years. Um, if you inhabit that Becky in three to five years time, what's she telling you to do now? Just keep taking action, make every week, like the last few weeks that I've had and just keep going. And on the days where you don't have, where you don't feel like you achieve anything, just do one thing and just keep at it and just keep on saying yes to things unless they're to your detriment and feel comfortable to say no and keep with my self-care. I'm at my best when I'm doing my self-care. So, yeah. And one final question. If you could upload a little nugget into the collective consciousness, right? This is where you sit around and go, oh, I wish just everybody got this. If you could upload one little nugget of information into the collective consciousness so everybody gets it, what would it be? What's yours? Just to help me. What What would you? What would I do? Yeah. Sorry to put you. I'm just like that. Thank that you. stumped me. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mine would be that um, you are 100 percent responsible for everything you do. Yeah. So be it. So therefore, hold and and also to hold yourself accountable to your self love, not necessarily to judge yourself. Yeah. But to hold yourself accountable to the love that you have for yourself. It's a pretty good nugget. Mm. It's a good nugget you got there. Um, It's a hard one, isn't it? But it's not. I'm going to take a pause. I think pretty much trust that what you see in your little daydreams is where you're supposed to be. And believe that you can get there. And if you want to do something, then do it. And if you fail at doing that, then do something else. Mm. If you want to do 700 different things at the same time, then you do 700 different things. But just put everything you can into it. Awesome. (laughs) I want to hug you. (laughs) (laughs) Becky, it's been an absolute treat. It's been an absolute pleasure. To um, just just sit and listen to your journey, be in your energy. You know, when you were talking about, you know, taking those pictures of, of, of the lady who'd lost her partner, mm. uh, I was crying too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had no intention of crying here, but apparently that yeah, affected me. But then me. also to, you know, go with you on the journey and then feel the energy and see where you're going and just listen to how underneath it all, you know, there, there was an inner calling to provide an impact and do good and serve. The only thing I think I would probably challenge is you've said, you know, some people are there to serve and some people are or, or there to help and that some people are not. I personally believe that as the, the further you get refined in your energy and et cetera, et cetera, the more 
you get to a point where you can't go any further with something unless you're yeah. giving it back. Yeah. And so that energy flows yeah. both ways. And that's when you suddenly go, oh, yeah, I need to go and help, mm. help people. Um, yeah, and I think that's the point when you get to authentic help. But that's, that's a topic of conversation for another yeah. time. Um, but yes, to then just feel your energy, feel your enthusiasm, and then see where you've gone is, is just awesome and i look forward to having you back on the show in, in, in years to come when you're telling <laughs> us about the next thing and how your journey and your impact has evolved and moved on i can't wait thank, thank you. you i thank appreciate you, you. i'm a half father yeah <laughs> <Here> you <go. laughs> thank you